The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. So Shelley and I are going to share the uh, talk. I'll do the first half. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can always grab it if I need it. I'm not sure if I'll need it. <clears throat> so I think what I'll focus on is um, what does equanimity feel like? And uh, particularly as a beautiful heart quality. a heart full of peace. As something beautiful and uh, not cold, not an idea of being equanimous and that being a sort of defense, which we can use the teaching or think about it. Oh, that'd be great if I wasn't pushed around by life. And some of us adopt that Uh, as a strategy, and it's really pretending to be equanimous, which is actually aversion and can be harmful to ourselves and to others. So for me, it's actually kind of a mystery and uh, more of a question and something we can feel into and open our minds and hearts to and use our memory too because I'm sure we've all had moments that we could remember of a beautiful heart that was intimate with life really there and also really peaceful and I think it's kind of Yeah, it's a really profound experience. And I think uh, it can, we can sense into it in different ways. Um, like uh, what allows us to actually be close to suffering. So compassion. So it's an exploration, you know, in these in all these different areas, you know, where we're always coming up against life and pleasant and unpleasant and suffering and joy. This is where we are interested in uh, is balance of mind useful? Is it beautiful? Is it appropriate given the immensity of suffering and the immensity of beauty? Just the immensity. What's the, what's a useful, appropriate, and helpful in terms of illuminating what's going on in terms of, yeah, an appropriate response 
So I, I was thinking about it a little bit in that way, like just that valuing it. Because if we don't value it, value whatever sense we have of peace as beautiful, as a beautiful heart state, functional, so just to open our minds and hearts to that, then we'll, we'll, well then we can check it out. One image that Ajahn Suchito uses, uh, he's a monk, great teacher, is uh, talking about spiritual urgency, which is, um, I think, a really important and beautiful term in Buddhism. There's something to do. There's a lot to do. There's a lot that's asking for a response. And it's actually, it's great. I mean, when we can feel inspired. And so there's that sense of spiritual urgency. And uh, he said, it's like we're diffusing a bomb. So it's urgent, but you, you're really careful. <laughs> So I like ASAP, as sensitive as possible. That's kind of, yeah, seems pretty trustworthy as a practice instruction and just general orientation. And so, but, you know, what allows us to be as sensitive as possible And it's like being real. So instead of equanimity as sort of a stance, or it's often, I, I've been finding it's actually in the edges when things seem like it's too much. That's where I can learn a little bit. Um, well, my heart actually can bear with this one more moment, and and uh, love actually that just a basic friendly attitude actually seems to work better, be more let me see more clearly than reactivity, as as understandable and familiar as reactivity is in all the different ways. For each of us, it will be different. Yeah, like, is balance, is settling into it. So how can we settle into it, no matter what it is? Settle into the joy, really feel it, really let it register. Settle into the anxiety, just let it rip. What kind of heart? holds that, what kind of safety might be available that isn't contentious, that isn't fabricated, that's really real. So I don't think we know it 
before we try it. So it's always um, an investigation and always a step into the unknown. And it's really useful It's a really useful skill, um, territory of the heart, to start to or continue to get familiar with unevenness. And it's all relative. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It's great if when we have moments of the deepest evenness and unshakable, but just like, relative, because things are changing all the time. So it's that heart that isn't surprised by that. And kind of, in a way, it's the way I sort of feel it and think about it. Uh, So yeah, it's just like if we it's basically around attachment. So if we're attached, which is our habit and does and will happen, you know, around the beautiful and the painful, then when that changes, then there's you know, that attachment and then it changes. So I see this in terms of how equanimity informs compassion, because we're not attached to the pain. We're just there with it, and it changes. And then when there's beautiful, we're really there, and it changes, and there's pain, and there's beauty. And if, and if we are attached, then it, it can really, it's really disorienting, and it is disorienting, so that it's like, not needing to define life as good or bad, ourselves as good or bad, but just, it's kind of just that basic willingness to show up. Keep exploring the edges of what our heart can open to. and confusion and ambiguity, which are really, in my experience at least, really common, really frequent, if we're not so fixed on, even in subtle ways, defining, fixing, okay, now I know what I'm doing, I'm the this, good, whatever, defining myself, which, you know, we can show up as useful selves, is good, but it'll, we can get disoriented with all those different selves all day long, and they keep. But the, the heart that uh, can open to things as they are doesn't need to know. That's a really powerful exploration of not needing to know, but just willing to feel.
And I find it applicable a lot of the time. And then it's always, uh, it's always in motion too. So it's not, it's very responsive to the needs of the moment and what needs taken, taken care of and what needs some adjustment here. Where can some safety come in? Where can some groundedness come in so that there's more balance in the mind to continue to meet? So there's always that, that very responsive and compassionate playing with the, the settings. <laughs> So we can keep showing up, and if we keep showing up, we'll keep learning, growing, deepening, opening. Just happens. So the way I've been practicing is my main job is that balance, which is a really nice, caring, compassionate way. So I'll leave my reflections there and pass it on to Shelley. Trying to make it as difficult as we can for Tom back there to test his equanimity today. <laughs> I appreciate that um, Gabe's reflection about in the beginning of his comments about us this being a, an, an experiential practice and really make taking it up to see if we value equanimity. Like, is it a value? Is it something that we can rely on or need? Is it something that will serve us? I always find it useful to think about definitions and realizing that all of these words that we use, like equanimity, were our translations, right? They're all, um, this word is a translation from a couple of Pali words. Pali is the language that was spoken at the time of the Buddha. So the most common translation of equanimity is, uh, equanimity is the most commonly translated from a word, uh, uh, upekka. And upekka really means to look over, and it points to the power of observation. So like a mindfulness, a mindfulness, a willingness to get intimate with the way things are. Um, in India, there was a, a word that was, upekka was meant like um, to see with patience, right? See, kind of that intimacy of being willing to be with this, whatever this is, really get to know it and really be there with it. And then the other word, I'm not a Pali scholar, so I may not say this just right, but tatra maja tata. Is that right, Patrice? <laughs> And this word, I really like this translation. It means to stand up in the middle of all this. It's actually three words, um, and together they can be translated to stand up in the middle of all this. So it really points to this balance, this strength that Gabe was talking about, like the strength of the heart to be with the most challenging of circumstances, the most difficult of moments in our lives, 
the most exuberant of moments in our lives, right? It's to be there in the midst of all the joy, like the joy of a human birth, right? And just be like, ah, oh, look at all this joy and really understand that um, I don't have complete control over what happens with this child, right? To be there in the middle of this great difficulty and let the difficulty touch the heart to the degree that the heart can be open and with it and go, oh yes, it's like this, it's really like this, this great difficulty, but to not be so, um, to have some groundedness in that moment, to have some grounded, some stability, some balance so that we don't collapse, right? I don't know if, if this um, has been your experience too, but sometimes I can be with, like I take my God kids to swim lessons every Saturday and there's just so much joy for me in some of those moments watching the oldest one learn how to swim and the youngest one kind of flap around in the water and just be, you know, with her body moving in the water. And there's so much joy, like the heart just kind of expands with joy that it, it almost tips into fear. <laughs> like, oh, this is so great. Oh, it's going to end and what's going to happen next or, uh I'm going to let go, this moment's going to end, I'm not going to, they're not going to be this age forever, right? It's that losing ground, the joy that we kind of lose ground in there. So there's a a little poem from the Terigata, which is a book of, a collection of poems from the elder nuns, nuns at at the time of the Buddha. It's really kind of, made an impression on me, um, supported my exploration of equanimity. It's very short. If your mind becomes firm like a rock and no longer shakes, your mind will be your greatest friend and suffering will not come your way. The kind of stability, the strength of equanimity. I appreciate that. It's, you know, given that that came from the nuns, I really feel the infusion of the feminine in there. So in the meditation this morning, I was really trying to point to how this equanimity or the firmness of equanimity, the the strength or balance of equanimity really comes out of a deep sense of love, right? Kindness, patience, benevolence, the kind of abiding in the heart's goodness that really, that this um, acceptance is birthed from. Like, ah, child, I love you so much, and I know I don't have control over the choices you make. Just like that. As I was preparing, I um, let me back up. So that's a, a little bit of a description about what equanimity is. But sometimes we can get confused about equanimity, and you might already be, you know kind of grokking this in your mind, like all these circumstances in your lives or circumstances that you are aware of, and like, well, how does equanimity really matter in the face of great injustice, for example, right? How does it really, how do we value this stability of mind in the face of the most difficult moments in our lives? So equanimity is not the same thing as indifference, It's not indifference at all, right? Indifference is an absence of caring. It's this aloofness. 
and remembering that equanimity is really birthed from a, the greatest feeling, the movement of the heart, the goodness in the heart, abiding in that goodness. That's the birthplace of equanimity. So equanimity isn't condoning action either. It's understanding that we don't have control all the time, right? In my mind, it's the, the neck, like the, uh, the juice that sustainability comes from in my own engaged mindfulness practice, in my work as a social worker. When, I'm, when I lose ground, then it feels like problems are insurmountable. But when I can rest in both a deep caring of the, the social ills of the world, all the injustices that I meet, that I come face to face with in my life and in my work, if I, I can meet those with the deepest sense of care and the understanding of, like, this is the way it is, any sort of denial or hating it will not change the way that it is, right? And it doesn't mean that that action that comes from, you know, it's just a different intention. So the action that comes out of that deep understanding is full of love and responsiveness. There's still a responsiveness there. It's still my responsibility to meet that, to meet that uh, injustice with my own heart's movement, with its response, with my body, with my action, with my words. It doesn't mean that, you know, that, um, well, it's different than responding from a place of anger, which might seem like it's the only option, right? And it's not to deny anger's movement in the heart either, because anger will arise. But equanimity is, is um, not dependent on, is not dependent on um, re- reactivity as a strategy. It doesn't embrace reactivity as a strategy. So anger burns out, right? It's a strong energy, and the expression of anger is exhausting. You might see this, right? So it's not a reliable resource for action. It doesn't mean that anger won't be there, but anger when it comes, and if that's the only option for us, we're going to not have much time with it. We're not going to have much capacity for response. So love is a much more reliable resource for us. In fact, we can tap into the limitless, the boundless quality of love in our practice, in our heart, right? Those moments that we're just with life and it feels like we're okay, right? Like, oh, like I really have some great appreciation for my life or for this experience or whatever it is. We can cultivate, cultivate a strength of love that kind of piques our curiosity, like, wow, I wonder how far this can go. And it's that force that we tap into that really allows us to respond, to accept and respond. That is much more reliable than the force of anger. So I was <clears throat> preparing for what I might say today and reading or reading and I came and I came across this um, video posted maybe, I don't know, a day or two ago, maybe less than that, maybe it was today sometime. I listened to it this morning, but really it was this um, journalist in Australia 
Muslim journalists in Australia talking about I just really moved at how he could do that, actually, talking about the, the mosque, the murders at the mosque in Christchurch, in New Zealand, the 49 people that were killed. And I was really moved by how he was able to be in that position and speak to an audience as a Muslim, and even more moved by his message. One of the first things he said was that he wasn't surprised, right? That he was feeling hopeless and sad, and, but not at all surprised by this, right? And pointing to many other times recently that synagogues, mosques, churches have been targeted, people have been targeted, these hate crimes that have targeted, or people that have done these hate crimes that have targeted, targeted these religious institutions. But that the call at the end was for a deep interconnection, for us to realize our interconnection. That, yeah, it's not surprising, and I completely accept that this is the truth, that this happened. Not denying that, but tapping into something that was deeper and more powerful than that, like our capacity to actually come together and learn from it. And the power to learn that it was more than just a single act, right? It's a series of acts over a long period of time that began with intentions and thoughts and words and sentiments. So this points to karma, that we, we are the heirs of our karma. So we don't actually get a pass from the things that we think, our intentional thoughts, our actions. This is a result of something that has been moving for a long time, right? So that... The acceptance comes from that deep understanding. There was a lot of wisdom in what he was saying, and he was tearful. So there was like the heart was actually breaking too, right? So there's this love and care and this understanding that this has been moving for a long time, and so it's, of, it's not of a surprise. It's deeply sad, but not of surprise. And then the, that love at the end of his statements that were like, what are we going to do? What are we going to build together? How are we going to connect and move forward together? Right? This capacity to, to, for love to meet us in a relational way. It's nothing if not relational. Right? This is our opportunity to awaken together. Our community gives us that opportunity. And that's just one example of that I thought was just a, like a perfect illustration of the power of equanimity, that balance of mind that could hold even the greatest of difficulties and not be afraid to, you know, that love that really expresses itself sometimes in the form of being brokenhearted. So it's not indifference that negates that but love that actually supports its movement into movement, the movement of love in the form of sadness, compassion, but also in the form of action, right? That doesn't negate action either.
We wanted to save plenty of time for questions. We don't have that much time, but we have some. So thank you for your kind listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Pass it all the way back to Sharon. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, An image that has helped me is from Sharon Salzberg, and she said it is as if we are on a balance beam, and on one side are the, as you were talking uh, this morning, Shelley, about that can be the chaos of our own life or what's going on in the world, and in the other side, is a sense of, uh, as you're calling it, calm, equanimity, and we are constantly on that balance beam, and we lean over one way in our mind and our body, and we lean over the other way, but keeping, for me, keeping in mind that I am, it's like uh, being aware of what's going on and yet uh, striving to be on that balance beam, and it is a goal. And um, uh, as you were speaking about New Zealand, um, I appreciated your bringing it up because uh, the fact that my heart can break is a good sign for me. Part of the reality of New Zealand, it just points us back to our own fragility. I think these things happen in the world and in um, the communities we're a part of. There was a time not that long ago where there was some hate um, spray-painted on the side of the Rochester Meditation Center. And so that's not to kind of make us afraid and um, unwilling to participate in, say, a Buddhist community, for example. <laughs> and the, the person who, in the video that I was watching, said that I went to Friday morning mosque like I do every Friday morning. So he went there that day just with a new understanding, with a new reality. Like that closeness, the closer we get to the truth of things, it sort of brings everything into focus for us. Like, oh yeah, our lives are really fragile. Anything can happen. And so what, how do we make best use of our time? What do we do with our lives? It sometimes spurs spiritual urgency like Gabe was talking about. Like, what do we do? Um, Ruth, when Ruth King was here um, two weekends ago, I guess, um, she really talked about how what we see right now is the result of seeds that have been planted and that we're planting seeds all the time. We don't know when they ripen, but every single act that we do is, um, is an act that plants a seed and that the seed may ripen. And I just really want to acknowledge that sometimes it seems like, no, this is a 
a Buddhist community who are people who are practicing. And there are people in our community who are from Pakistan and from Iran and who are um, observant of their Muslim traditions as well as practicing um, the Buddhist teaching. So I just really think it's important not for us to feel that this is something distant, but that there are people who come here and sit here regularly who are really heartbroken and touched and really frightened by what's been going on. So it's not, um, it's not something distant. It's really here in our own community, and it might not be as visible to us, but um, uh, as we know uh, from some of the other hate crimes, uh, there are people who sit in this room with real fear a lot of the time about what happens to their teenage sons when they go um, out at night. Uh, so this is really uh, this is really our community, and um, practicing this sort of what Sharon was saying about this sort of balancing seems to me to be really important to be really aware that this is very very directly relevant to um, to us. Thanks, Patrice. Yes, um, actually, as uh, Patrice was talking, there was something that I had been thinking about, and now it's a little bit riffing off of that point. Um, it seems to me that one way, when we're talking about things like anger or outrage, one way that that might manifest that is unhelpful is when we want is when it's like pointing to something external to say this is the you know the evil, these are the bad guys, psychopaths that are doing horrible things. Um, and we're pushing away, and one thing that that can lead to is, of course, not acknowledging the strands that are within us that embody those same tendencies, even if they're, they don't manifest themselves in these overtly destructive ways. So for me... One thing that I try to be aware of ties also into what Ruth King talked about two weeks ago. You know, it would be easy for me to say, oh, right, like those racists out there doing these things. It's like, no. It's like as painful as it can be, I have realized those, like some of those tendencies are within me. Had I been born or raised in different circumstances, it's actually quite frightening how easily I can imagine doing things that were, would be very harmful. So the love, the compassion that I, to me, also um, allows me to be there in moments <laughs> for all of that, and that it's also that I'm not, that I'm all enmeshed in all of it, and that if I want to be able to show up to do what is helpful, I need to be able to show up for that as well. Thank you. I think that's another um, cause for spiritual urgency is even if we're careful, we know the seeds of harm. We see them the more we're mindful. And so we're really inspired to, for our own well-being and for 
you know, the well-being of the world. And like you say, we don't, yeah, we don't know, you know, those seeds, how they would manifest, and we don't know how conditions will unfold in our lives. I mean, I sort of had a similar thought last summer, just biking along uh, the Greenway and uh, noticing that I would experience fear at times seeing someone I perceived as homeless. And it was at the same time as the encampment um, along Hiawatha was, was starting, I think. And just that sense of seeing that fear and you know, seeing the conditioning that supports that and not really acting on it, but trying to be mindful of it and feel it and see, see its conditioned nature. But just also seeing like, uh, and I think, yeah, just in the news about the decisions around the encampment, but like, you know, these seeds of fear around difference, around power, how, you know, how we're protected, a lot of us, by our privilege and our relative safety. You know, if we lived in a war zone, if we were, you know, chronically impoverished or, you know, if our lives were more difficult than they are, it would be harder to be good, for example. So just, and these real, so just, yeah, I mean, not, um, but yeah, just, I think that's a, a cause for spiritual urgency. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it, for me, it gives me a real sense of purpose in my life. What, what's the meaning of life? What to do with life? Oh, there's already a lot moving here. I don't need to look elsewhere. There's a lot moving here, and it's asking for here and out there. I mean, it's endless. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, you know, not to jump to a, yeah, not to jump to, you know, to see all of that and what, what re- responses and reactivity and to open my my heart to, yeah, you know, even is like clarity around what to do. I think we have relative clarity. I think Ajahn Suchita says, uh, um, well, he says being is first, doing is second, and he says um, doing is guesswork. Maybe we're right, you know. Seven out of ten, or something like that, doesn't mean we don't act. I mean, we we act. We're always acting imperfectly, and we learn from our mistakes. And that's kind of our situation. To, so to keep showing up, what? How can we? What supports us to be able to keep showing up? In the long game. It's that sensitivity in that heart, that balance, that care. This is like our best friend. This is our our tool for the journey, our only tool, really, and each other. (laughs) All right, let's uh, have the kids come in. Thanks, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.